The Power Trip Podcast is a proud member of the Kaiju Ramen Media Podcast Network. Hello, listeners with attitude. I'm Michael. And I'm Nathan. And you're listening to The Power Trip, a journey through the Power Rangers franchise. In today's episode, we're discussing Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Season 3. This is episode four. Yeah. Yep. So we're four, we're, we're four episodes in now. Like, yeah, we're, and we're coming to the end of, I guess, one of the mini eras of the franchise. Cause yeah. this is the end of mighty Morphin. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is the final season. I mean, it's, it's kind of sad. It's kind of, it's kind of bittersweet if you ask me, because I have, I've really enjoyed our time talking about mighty Morphin. And so, um, I mean, I don't know what else to say about season three is it's a lot of fun. Um, some would argue now, some would argue, and I think we alluded to this in our last episode when we talked about the movie, um, some would consider this season to be the decline or the beginning of the decline of the franchise. Yeah. And I can see it because yeah, they make some, they make some choices in this that don't help. (laughs) Speaking of choices that don't help, Nathan, would you like to read our plot synopsis? Yes, sir. Cue the epic rock music. Rita's buffoon of a brother, Rito, joins the moon crew and brings a deadly wedding gift in the form of the Tangas. He destroys the Zords and the Brangers lose their powers. But after going on a ninja quest with the creator of the power coins, Ninjor, they acquire new powers and Zords to battle evil. Amidst all this, Kim leaves the team to pursue her gymnastics career, and a foe-turned-friend replaces her. But even then, Zed turns back time, literally, transforming the Rangers into children, again. So they get help from the Rangers of Aquatar to keep Rita's father, Master Vile, from conquering the world. Okay, so there's a lot going on in this season. Yes, um, which is why but, I was a little concerned about that plot synopsis. I told you before we started recording that this is either a brilliant summation of 40 plus episodes of television or a long-winded mess. <laughs> I will take long-winded mess for 500 bucks. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, I, I mean, that, I, that pretty well sums it up of what people can expect from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Season 3. Yeah. Um, but the this one is interesting. We have another change. They s- start doing it in the movie because that's the thing. We talked about how the movie is in its own universe, mm-hmm. and yeah. you have and we have to say that because we get some similar events here at the beginning of the season mm-hmm. that to what we had in the movie, but they right. contradict each other. So we have once again them going on a quest to get new powers and they get ninja zords and they get ninja powers, but they're very different. The details are just diametrically opposed. We have new characters that are not in the movie and all kinds of stuff. And in this season, they went from using Die Ranger footage 
to Kaku Ranger footage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they use it in kind of a weird way. Now, the thing about Mighty Morphin Season 2 is they only used monster footage and sword footage. In this one, up until the end of the season, and we'll get there, they were, again, just using monster footage and Zord footage. Then they started using Ranger footage, but it's not our heroes. But we'll yeah, get into were- that. Yeah, they recontextualize it. Uh, yeah, and into- it's the most radical recontextualization I think that they've done oh, so far. Yeah. Maybe even the whole franchise. But then oh, again, yeah. but then again, I haven't seen Kaku Ranger yet. You have, and Kaku Ranger is a very weird Sentai by American standards. Ka- yeah, to give a little bit of background on Kaku Ranger, the whole the whole premise is. Um, there the our heroes are battling yokai so all of the um so all of the 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 monsters of the week in kaka ranger are based off of yokai and, and so nathan for the uninitiated in our audience uh do you want to go over just really quickly what yokai are <sighs> to put it succinctly because there's a lot we could talk about with yokai they are basically spirits that inhabit or have jurisdiction over a bunch of different things so basically everything in japan has a yokai they're similar to kami in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. but they're not quite the same so they're spirits in japanese folklore and religion and a legend and mythology but although i think they're a little bit more uh, they're a more recent invention compared to say the kami and the and yokai are also a lot wilder. Like there are movies that are made about yokai, like the the Great Yokai War would be an example. And there's some really yeah. famous. If you do a Google search or something, you can find some really famous yokai. Like uh, like mm-hmm. the long necked woman is one of them. You know, and there's some really wild ones. There's even a no joke. There's even a yokai for toilets. There is. Yeah, there absolutely is. And you know, some of the some of the monsters of the week, uh we'll get into we'll get into the monsters of the week uh later on in the episode, but you know, some of the monsters of the week are very very weird and obscure and if you aren't fam- and uh just they they look odd in con- in context to the show because you know, Cocker Ranger is a very very weird but entertaining sentai uh, yeah so but the, the that's event, why so, the monsters in this are just at points just absolutely insane and some of them i'm like i can't believe you brought this over <laughs> yeah some of them are extremely some of them are absurd some of them are if if the parents uh if the parents actually knew what these yokai actually were they would have pitched a fit like pe- you would think people pitched a fit over lord zed i mean that they're going to pit they if they knew that one of the one of the monsters of the week was actually a flasher yeah sea oh no. monster <laughs> yeah but i mean that design's nuts he's basically a really tall guy wearing a trench coat but when he opens the trench coat instead of him <laughs> it's an entire body with and the the co- inside of the coat just completely lined with eyes it is incredibly surreal and yeah. I, I just, I can't believe this exists. It, near as I can tell, and I could be speaking in ignorance here, but it sounds like, honestly, Kaku Ranger might be the most Japanese of Sentais, at least the Sentais that have been released stateside. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is just nuts. 
So before we get into all that, Nathan, oh, uh, uh, there is something else I should mention. They oh, also sure, goof around with the Zords with this because the Zords they that the order. they they reverse the order because the Zords that we have at the beginning and Mighty Morphin were second the second form of the Zords in Cocker Ranger, and the Zords that the Rangers get later are the first forms of the Mecha in Kaku Ranger. I'm I can only assume I can only assume the reason behind that was because the what would what we would know as the Shogun Megazord for uh Power Rangers looks a little more in line with the more uh what is it robust, impressive looking uh Zords that we would later that that kind of become the trend because and I'm trying to explain it here in a way for for the uninitiated to understand. So typically in a Power Rangers season you get the normal Megazord that they're given at the start of the show and then about halfway through it, I'd say about 15 episodes in is about the I think, I think is really the norm. They get a, a either an ancillary zord that turn like similar to the dragon zord in season one, or they get an or they run into a situation that calls for them to obtain another megazord to help fight a more powerful foe. The other thing that is that needs to be noted in this is <laughs> if, 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 if there are reasons why this is significant for me, and that is this is the first season that has Jackie March and no, as far as I know, we're not related, despite the fact that we're both writers, <laughs> but I have had a little bit of communication with her on Twitter about the matter, but she is a write, a screenwriter and a story editor, and this was her first season on Power Rangers, and she will be with us all the way to RPM. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, now, Jack, and Jackie she is credited, and she's credited with really helping to shape the franchise going forward in terms of the stories that they're uh, that they're telling and how they adapt the Sentai and you know, all kinds of things. Yeah, this is her freshman season, if I'm not mistaken. Right? This is mm-hmm. her freshman season. This yeah, is her first this season. Is her, of this Power is her Rangers. freshman season. She only has three episodes to her credit in terms of mm-hmm. writing. Now I'm guessing she was on the writing team and I don't know exactly when she became story editor, but she only has three episodes to her name in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Nathan, I mean, as up to this point, when we've been discussing these seasons, you know, sometimes we get, sometimes we get changes and sometimes we don't. I know that, um, in season two, we had some major changes. So in, in season, in mighty Morphin power Rangers, what has exactly changed for the audience at this point? Well, the 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 Rangers, uh, we have new characters. We have the Rangers getting new powers, new Zords. Bulk and Skull have a new obsession for this season. <laughs> of course, they're, that's pretty uh, usual. Because, so their comic relief subplot, because it gets to the point where, especially in the early episodes, their subplot has basically nothing to do with what the Rangers are doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now their thing is, and it actually, I can see how it kind of dovetails from the previous season. Cause in the previous season, they're like, we're going to find out the identities of the power Rangers. And now they want to be police detectives because girls like guys in uniform. I mean, spandex, I mean, <laughs> uniform. <laughs> Listen to a recent episode of Henshin Men where we talk about Shine's Men, a Sentai parody anime, and you'll get it. But (laughs) 
so that's so they decide that they're going to enlist. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When I was watching that, I'm like, okay, I come from a military family. I know mm-hmm. what boot. I've heard stories about boot camp. I know what basic training is like. The, uh, now, unfortunately, I have not known any police officers in my life. I so I could be speaking in ignorance here, but this so-called <laughs> police academy, not to be confused with the movie series, feels more like uh, of an army boot camp than it does <laughs> the police academy. So I wonder if maybe at one point the idea was to have them enlist in the army. And then Possibly. maybe somebody in the writer's room said, well, they're too young to enlist. So they said, okay, then they will be junior police officers. And then they just mm-hmm. didn't change anything. Else. Because we're still, because we're still technically playing around with them all being the teenagers. We're, st- yeah, we're, we're still in high still, school. Still and they're going to be yeah. in high school for a couple more seasons, people. So strap in. Yeah. Which yeah. makes me wonder if they were supposed to be 14 or 15 when they became Rangers, which is kind of crazy if you stop and think about it, but okay. Okay. I mean, it's, I mean, we've, we honestly, we've suspended our disbelief for, for much worse or much un for much more unbelievable circumstances. In fact, well, yeah, Steve uh, McQueen in the blob, but <laughs> <laughs> in well that, and in fact, there's going to be, there's going to come a time in Ranger history where we're going to suspend, um, very in more in in a very oh god soon up soon upcoming ranger history we're uh, gonna have to suspend our disbelief even more uh, uh than we typically would up to this point uh, but yes you know you know a lot of these seasons start you know they start implementing some subtle changes now mighty morphin has the benefit of being pretty consistent throughout its run like we've had some cast changes uh from season 2 to season 3 obviously um you know <laughs> like you said Vulcan skull had a, has a new obsession we have new zords as per the usual uh we have a, a host of new we have a few new villains but our main villains are still are still sticking around but they're just adding to the moon crew yeah in a yeah. significant ways. Sometimes, to be honest, I feel like Haim Saban tried way too hard to try to keep the original branding, despite the <laughs> fact that they was running out of footage yeah. and would had to invest yeah. in more, and then they that would and it required weird editing and all kinds of things. And it takes him several years before he realizes if I'm gonna keep doing this show the way I'm doing it, I'm gonna have to embrace the sentai more and yeah. the way super sentai works is they make one show for one season they're done and then they just make a new one with similar tropes and then keep and just do that it's just how yeah. japanese television works right you know at least with that and, sort of stuff you know, right and you know i i ha- you know as someone who has watched kaku ranger I can see where adapting an entire season to it would have been difficult because there's just a re- there's just a lot of weird things in Cocker Ranger that I think would have been difficult for the audience to wrap their head or to wrap their minds around or it may have it may actually have been di- more difficult for the writers room to uh, recontextualize for an American audience because like you pointed I think you like you pointed it out at the top of the show you know Cocker Ranger is probably the most Japanese sentai up to this point yeah, at least with what's being used for Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
But yeah, there's also there's the a caveat. lot of cultural barriers. A yeah, lot of but them. The, there's also the caveat of the this is still technic. We're still in the height of Power Rangers popularity. Technically, uh, we're uh, we're a few months removed from the movie. Uh, Power Rangers is the movie was successful. Uh, we talked about the movie in the last episode. Uh, the movie was done on a budget of 13 million. It made 66 million. So 15. it made a, a 15 million. Sorry. Thank you. It, it did. It had a budget of 15 million. It did 66 million overall. Uh, so as far as that was concerned, it was a success. So there, there is still an audience for power Rangers at this moment, but from a marketing standard, from a marketing standpoint, there is nothing more iconic than those original Zhu Ranger suits. I will say it is very weird to me to see Rocky command the, um, the uh what is it the ape the ape king the or ape. The, ape, the 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 monkey king no well um, yeah, that's what our, that's where the inspiration came from but it's supposed to be the red ape right to see rocky command the red ape zord but still wearing the zhu ranger tyrannosaurus suit yeah. is a little is a little weird even like i don't know if i i don't know if i necessarily picked up on it as a child but you know going back through these things watching it as an adult i I really kind of wish they would have at least uh, brought the uh, the Kaku Ranger suits over, and mm-hmm. they could have they I don't know they could have done it. I feel like they could they, have done I, it if they, they could have used the Kaku Ranger suits for their ninja suits. That they might could have, have worked. Yes. You know, maybe. because there's a I don't heavily. Know, but uh, the the thing that they probably should have this is something I kind of wish they had carried over from the movie because I think this mm-hmm. helped, even though it was mm-hmm. still a little weird. Because the thing about you have to know about Super Sentai is they lean hard into the gimmicks yeah. with each season. And the the Rangers costumes are tied very closely to their Zords and whatever the theme, you know, like I said, the gimmick of the show is. So mm-hmm. these dinosaur themed helmets just seem out of place now. Well, what I think they could have done, and they did this in the movie, and I think it helped offset it, was they made the power coins, their medallions, whatever called. They put it on the chest where they had that central diamond, right? On, uh, and they put the they put the coin there. It actually made it look a little bit more like an Amer- made them look a little bit more like an American superhero, and it helped to offset the fact that they don't have the dinosaur stuff anymore. They've got something else, but they didn't do right. that in the show. Well, but they do try to do. They do. Uh, give them new suits in season three and in, in the movie and in season three, they give them new suits. Cause I don't, I don't remember. Uh, it's been a little while since we talked about the movie. So I can't remember if we touched on the fact that they got actual ninja costumes. For no, I don't think we necessarily mentioned that. We just, we talked about it, but so yeah, I mean, these are, these are ri- technically original Rangers mm-hmm. to the franchise, which is a little bit different, but they're just ninja costumes. Now I honestly prefer the movie versions of these costumes because it's just okay. When you have helmets that have visors that completely cover the actor's face, that's easier for me to get over than what they have here because they have like the most face covering hoods ever, except for the eye holes, which just throws me off a little bit. And even yeah. though it's just the eyes, it's just, I just, I'm still just sitting there looking at it. And it's just, even those eyes are just breaking the illusion of that's not the actor's. Yeah, it's it's too obvious. It's too obvious. It becomes too obvious. But in the movie, 
they had actually they just had a, a mask that covered them uh, covered their face up to their nose and then mm-hmm. it wrapped around their head and then they had a hood over their head but you could still see their forehead and their eyes so you could still tell that's the actor and then yeah. they would take them off exactly. so you could still see them and all that but this like i said it becomes too obvious despite the fact that you see even less but yeah. if you couldn't see the eyes and it was just a helmet i it's easier for me to accept so yeah so that's a little bit difficult but speaking of the rangers we do have a few ranger characters we need to talk about the most mm-hmm. important one we need to talk about is and we'll get into it when we start talking more about the themes and the story is we have another cast member leave the mm-hmm. advantage that they have this time around is they knew it was going to happen and it was planned yeah. yes so because amy joe johnson decided to leave the show at this point, she's mm-hmm. like, you know she's getting offers to be in movies. She's moving ahead in her career, so she told them she was going to leave. So they wrote to that, and honestly, like yeah. I said, we'll get into it. But uh, it's a three-part episode called "A Different Shade of Pink," and it needs to be the template that you should use whenever you have Ranger characters leave. Spoiler warning: they don't follow it <laughs> ever again. <laughs> but so she leaves and we're introduced to a new character. Her name is Catherine, played by a Catherine. <laughs> it's her real name is Catherine with a C in the show. She's Catherine with a K. <laughs> I think what is it? Catherine what? Sutherland, I think is her name. Yes. Kath- yeah. Catherine. Su- I had to think for a second if that was correct. Was it, it did you get him reversed? It's Kath. Yeah, you're right. But it's Catherine. Uh, Catherine with a K is her real name. Catherine Sutherland. Yeah. 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 Oh, wait, is her real name Catherine with a K or is her character name Catherine with a now K? Now you got me confused, Nathan. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> Catherine with a K, Sutherland is her real name. Oh, okay. So I was wrong. Anyway, moving on. So they introduce her. The thing that's interesting about Catherine is that she's initially introduced mm-hmm. as a villain. Where they're kind of going back to the green with evil well here and honestly i know i had kind of said when we were talking about green with evil briefly get more details in the film vault but one of the things i was talking about was like it would have been interesting if there if the kayfabe as you put it for tommy was even deeper like he just kept acting like himself until Mm -hmm. someone calls him out and then it's like yeah i am you know but otherwise he just acts like so he's very deceptive this mm-hmm. one, there's they, there's noticeable changes in his personality. You know, doesn't yeah. hide it as well as you would think. In this, that is the whole point. Catherine's not a ranger. She is, we don't quite know what she is. She, for one episode, turns into a monster of the week, which is a tiny bit confusing. Yeah, okay, because mind. that's how she shows up. She's a cat. She's literally, yeah, yeah. On the nose there, Power Rangers. Cat is a cat. In fact, her they who is it? It's Kimberly and is it Aisha? It's Aisha, yes. Yeah, they adopt, they find a white cat in a park. So they said, Oh, it's a park cat. Her name is PC. I'm like, oh boy. And I even told I told you because you adopted a kitten. I was like, you need to name her PC, because only the most hardcore (laughs) of nerds will get it. You didn't do if it. If I ever, if I, well, if I ever adopt an, well, my, the the kitten that I adopted was a tuxedo. It was black and white. I mean, I could have made it work, but 
I feel I would feel I would feel wrong. So maybe someday I'll get a white cat and name it PC. Yeah, there you go. But anyway, so they find her. It's a cat, but it's actually her in disguise through Rita's magic. And so she's mm-hmm. a, a bit of a mysterious character. And then, like I said, for one episode, she's a monster of the week, which was just confusing. I don't understand that at all. I kind of wonder if maybe they changed their mind about what she actually was at some point, because I feel like they kind of do a little bit of retconning with her later. But which is weird, which is weird because in the Sentai that that's taken from, it's she's not actually a cat. She's a fox. Interesting. That actually makes more sense in Japanese culture. Yeah. yeah. She's a red fox. Yeah. 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 Or is it the, or is it a, a red panda? No, it's a, it's, I've, I remember it's just succinctly being a, uh, a red fox. Okay. Well, anyway, so she's using subterfuge. She's spying on the Rangers. She's manipulating the Rangers in their, in their civilian lives. And, doing all kinds of things. I love the fact that it's like, this is interesting. It's a, so it's a very different take on what they did with green with evil. And it's, mm-hmm. you're seeing Rita's Rita Zed and Rita's plots kind of evolving a little bit. They're getting a little bit more sophisticated with this, which I like. And maybe that's, we can attribute that to Jackie Marchand coming in and suggesting different ways to go about things. So it's not quite as much, strictly the monster of the week format. And again, like I said, it with season two, there's a lot of multi-parters in this. And so anyway, so they do all of this. And then eventually you, we find out that Catherine is not a cat. That was just a form. She was given through Rita's magic. She's human. She was a diver. She injured herself and, uh, Rita found her, and like I mentioned when we were talking about Tommy in season one, the nature of evil is to corrupt or destroy that which is good. She goes to Catherine and says, "I'm basically and basically says, I'm going to make you my minion. You will serve me. And then send her off to do all these things to wreck the Power Rangers. Yeah. And then they break I- the spell. She helps Kim. Kim has to leave. And then Kim says... I appoint her my replacement. So she becomes for what? Maybe eight episodes. <laughs> it doesn't last very long, unfortunately, but she becomes uh, the no, mighty more, the no, second mighty morphin pink ranger. What? It doesn't last very long at all. Yeah. No. Yeah. So she becomes the second mighty morphin pink ranger. Yeah. So there you go. I so it's interesting that- just to see the whole, then that plays out for a good, what? Two thirds of the season. It plays out for a while and it, it takes a lot longer for that story arc to come to fruition, fruition, there we go, to come to fruition. uh, They, they really kind of drug that one out in a good way because Mm -hmm. you're right, because Catherine is not only is she evil, but she's conniving and she's uh she's integrating herself into the lives of our rangers mm-hmm. to make her to to kind of just blend in mm-hmm. uh, yeah because she which becomes makes, best friends with Kim and Aisha but they mm-hmm. also think that but she's also the cat yep you know so she uses her cat form to get to places that she probably wouldn't be otherwise she also for some odd reason and maybe it's accidental foreshadowing i don't know but well wait till the Zio episode because I have opinions, <laughs> but uh, she also starts getting jealous of Kim and she's like, I want Tommy. Yeah. 
I went, I was like, yeah, the, where did, what part of that did that come from? That is, because it, it seems like that's genuine. Like she actually has a crush on Tommy and is genuinely jealous of Kim and wants Kim so, out of the way. I saw that. I saw that mainly as just her trying to drive, a, like her, you know, per, her pursuing her assignment of driving a wedge between the yeah, Rangers. But, and that, yeah, but I think she actually point, wanted Tommy. I really do think I, she I wanted mean, Tommy. I mean, I'm not downing that. I don't think, I, I don't think you're wrong there. What I'm just saying is it just, it, if, if, if that wasn't the objective still, it would still play into the overall plot of her trying to drive a wedge between two of the most, two of the, the prominent Rangers on the team who just happened to be a couple at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, like I said, gets a little in, in some ways, the storytelling in season three gets more sophisticated, but there's also some things that were lost in this season that I think brings it down a little bit, which we'll get into. So we have Catherine and then again, we'll talk a little bit more about how they, they try to work this into the structure of the season because the structure of the season is really weird. And I remember I had, friends at the time who were still into power rangers and when they were trying to explain to me how this was all working it just sounded really strange to me mm-hmm. just incredibly strange how they were trying to do even as a you know a teenager who is just starting to discover how you write a story and things like that but right. we get to the last 10 episodes of the season if you want to look at it that way because they changed the logo, they tweaked the theme song and the cast. And it's just, it's so incredibly strange, but we have, it's, it was called the mighty Morphin alien Rangers where they're actually using the Kaku Ranger footage. And we're introduced to a whole new team of Rangers. The Aquatarian ain't Rangers or the Rangers of Aquatar or the alien Rangers. They couldn't decide what name to land on, but we're in, so we're introduced to these five rangers from a water planet, mm-hmm. and their name. I wrote their names down. Unfortunately, most of them don't stand out too much from each uh, from each other, except for their leader. And those characters are Ariko, Sestro, Titus, Corcus, and Delphine. The interesting thing about mm-hmm. Delphine: Delphine is the only girl. So they didn't try and she's to, also the leader and she's also the leader. Now in Kaku Ranger, that's not, it, there's no, there's one female Ranger and she's not the leader. It's still the red Ranger in that she, uh, cause Delphine's a white Ranger. Cause there's no pink Ranger in Kaku Ranger. So that's mm-hmm. a little bit different too, but they didn't make, there's a yellow Ranger, but they didn't make the yellow Ranger female, which they've been doing on the show forever. So Delphine is the token girl, but she's the leader. That's an interesting thing. I would say so. She's the no, it's first a, it's a, it's female a, ranger leader in Power it's Rangers. A, it's a really interesting, interesting dynamic. And I think it's fair to say that she's really the outside of, uh, who did we say? Sestro? Sestro coming back. Sestro to, comes back next season. Okay. So, so. Well, they all outside, do, but he has a whole episode that's just him. Right. Right. So she's really the only one that stands out as like, I totally forgot what the other uh, outside of Sestro and Delphine. I totally forgot, uh, what the other, um, uh, what the other Ranger, what the other aliens Rangers names were because they, none none of them, none of them really stand out to me. Yeah. But the, they try doing some interesting things with them. I think to account for the fact that it's a very ninja based, 
Sentai that they're pulling from. So they do very. weird hand motions and they're very, they're very serene characters. They seem mm-hmm. to at least be implicitly spiritual. They, they also have weird ticks to them. The, the characterization of this is interesting. I have to give those actors credit. They figured out how to make them actually come across as alien because they're just, mm-hmm. their behavior is a little bit off. And it actually reminded me of the aliens from galaxy quest. Because uh, they oh, were a little bit, except yeah, more, bit. except in Galaxy Quest, it was more exaggerated for comical yeah. effect. Yeah, and so you know, it, so they have a little bit of wide-eyed wonder, but they're also very much out of their element. I would say they're a fish out of water, but they need water, <laughs> so maybe it's actually more apt than you would think, because that's their big weakness: is they have to be, they have to be in water. The uh, Earth's environment is not conducive for them, and they said that's going to be a problem. So, you know, so even though they were summoned to help, it's like they, they're constantly needing fresh water, not fresh water, just water. Their voices are a little strange. I have to admit. Very. It takes well, a little getting they're... used to, but I, they were modulated right. in a way that it makes it sound like they're used to, sp- I think it's supposed to be that they're used to speaking underwater because there's a, there's a water-like quality to their voices. I don't know how to, to describe it. Well, it's kind of like, um, hang on, hang on. On, on air illustration. I'm going to drink some water here for just a second. The kind of like if you talk with water in your mouth, this is the sound that makes. <laughs> oh, Okay. Kinda, <laughs> kinda, but not quite. Yeah, yeah. So, like I said, I have opinions about that. Min- it's basically a mini series that serves as the season finale. Like right. I said, the end of season three is very weird. <laughs> so, new supporting cast members. We really only have one, which is Lieutenant Stone, and. Most of his stuff has to do with bulk and skull. So he doesn't right. really have any interactions with the Rangers. Right. He's basically their drill sergeant who is constantly harping on them when they're, when they're doing basic training. And then when they're like, we, we saw monsters, you have to come see the monsters. And then he's like, I don't believe you. It's like, you live in the power Ranger universe. Why are you doubting the existence of monsters? I don't understand this. <laughs> That's something that I that always bugged me because it's like anytime Bulk and Skull would say, we saw a monster, we saw a monster. Like everyone acts like they're crazy. But again, Power Rangers exist. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. So he's, they're buffoons and he's the hard no, he's the, you know, pardon the term, bleep it if you want to, but he's the hard ass that they have to deal with and they play off of him. That's the gist. Not much exactly. else to say about Lieutenant Stone other than that. Now there, He's the straight man in their comedy routines. Now he now Lieutenant Stone does play yeah, you know, Lieutenant Stone's character progresses outside of being the hard ass cop later on, but we won't see that characterization until uh probably the net well, we probably we won't see the full evolution of his character until uh Turbo. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy, Turbo. Anyway. So we do get some more, uh, we, well, we don't, uh, we get more allies. Well, we get, 
one ally. We don't. He's kind of a sixth ranger, but not really. He's basically the sixth ranger and Kaku ranger. But we already have six rangers. But the the most okay. Technically, season three starts with a three part backdoor pilot for Saban attempting to make a spinoff using footage from another Japanese superhero show, the infamous Master Rider. Yeah. Taken so, from Common Rider Black RX. Is that correct? Yes. Common Rider Black RX. So the actual season premiere is just so it's it's basically a, it's like I said, it's a backdoor pile for another show because it's not really about the Rangers. <laughs> it's just weird. If you want to know more about that three parter and and we'll learn more about Prince Dex and Master Rider, we just did a bonus episode crossover with our co-host and common Travis Alexander on one of my other podcasts, Henshin Men. So yeah. reference that to get more details. So yes, Master Rider is a thing. Moving on. Yeah, but the main the main ally for this season is uh, one that we meet pretty or w- the one that we meet in the first uh, in episode I think it's episode five. Uh, nope. we find- uh, yeah, episode five. Yeah, because it's then episode- we get to a four parter that is the proper season premiere called right. Ninja Quest that yes. covers a lot of stuff that was also in the movie. Right. So it just, it just basically it, the Ninja Quest just recontextualizes or not necessarily recontextualize. It just remakes the events of the movie, but with Kaku Ranger footage and yeah. the and the ally that we see uh, is uh, Ninjor, which actually is a pretty popular character among Ranger fandom. Um, if 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 you're not familiar with with Ninjor, he's basically a. Uh, he kind of looks like a robot dressed like a big blue samurai, kind mm-hmm. of. And he uh, is how and I would describe him. Like Dudley Do Right. And he gets re- and when he gets really angry, mm-hmm. he uh, he grows large. Yeah. If, if I ever have Ninja on the film vault, I guess I know who's voicing him. So <laughs> I am Ninja. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So he hulks out and things like. But he's also this wise basically ninja master he's the creator of the power coin so there's some big lore expansions on this so he yeah. created the power coins gave them to zordon and because basically what happens is the rangers as i said in the plot synopsis get their zords destroyed they lose their powers zordon says you need to go find ninjor because he made the power coins and he can help you but out. At this, but at this point, they don't even know if Ninjor exists. So they're yeah. kind of flying. They're actually kind of flying blind at this point. Yeah. And, and so Sim- instead of going to another planet on their hero's journey, they go to the, good Lord, the, the names they use for things in Power Rangers. The Desert, the desert of, of Despair. Disney. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just, it looks like the California desert, but with somebody in the background going, Actually, that was a little bit eerie, and I think I am almost 100% sure that that is the famous California desert where a bunch of TV and movies have been filmed, including a famous episode of the original Star Trek, the one with the Gorn, because there's a very particular mountain that gets used a lot mm-hmm. in uh, when second. they film there. 
it wouldn't surprise me at all. But like, um, but like the movie, you know, the whole premise behind it is they don't even know if Ninja or this, or this place exists. Uh, and I think in the movie it's, it's said by alpha. It's like, well, there's a legend that says there is a place where the, where there's an, uh, an, un, uh, where there's an ultimate power and you can travel there. It we don't know if it really exists or not, but you can travel there and see, but it's a very dangerous, yeah. it's a dangerous yeah, but, and place. It's, but, and, and it's this, supposed and, to be the source of their powers, but it's kind of nebulous. That's one of the things I don't quite mm-hmm. like about the movie. It's just like, it's the great power. You have to go find it. It's like, well, that just, yeah, it sounds very yeah. vague and nebulous. At Thank least you. in but season it, three, at least in season three, you know, there's a little bit of, lore, like you said, lore building. Like this is the play. This is the, they're seeking out a specific person or entity that created like the thing that they need to morph. Like the yeah. whole, the, their, their power. Yeah. The coins. Because those are very tangible. Yeah. I can work with that. Right. Just saying like, go find the nebulous great power. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> what is that? Anyway. So they go and they meet him. And despite the fact that he's Dudley Do-Right. Woo, uh, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to deal with them. He's like, really? You came here? You want me to help you? No. <laughs> he's like, nah. Nah, we're not gonna do it. No. No, no. But then he but then when they say, oh, fine, I guess we'll go fight Rito and Lord Zed without him. What else are we gonna do? And then he's like, ah, I see you came to uh, seeking power not for personal gain, but to help others. And you know, <laughs> your ninja voice is way better than mine. <laughs> oh. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I see you came to uh, seek the seek the great power, not for personal gain, but for others, or something uh, yeah, like that. Basically, and then we get a very similar scene where he's telling them about the. It's kind of funny the way it's shot because he's not actually looking at the Rangers; he's looking at the camera and he's <laughs> gesturing and talking about their new swords and and their new powers, and they're just standing on a hill <laughs> behind him. It's a nicely framed shot, but like, why are you not talking to them? But whatever, okay. And is showing off the new swords, and we get a very similar scene. We didn't talk about it very much, but where he's gifting them and. You know, mm-hmm. you know, when too hot for TV, I, I, I was like, admittedly, Ninja, I like you, but too hot for TV. So <laughs> a little bit and of a downgrade. If but, anyone's uh, not familiar with who we're talking, we're talking about Dulcia. Dulcia yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of a downgrade. But, you know, he's doing a very similar thing. And I kind of wish that they had kept the thing from the movie because the thing where Adam is like, I'm a frog. And then that was ad-libbed. It was not in the script. And then the you know the bit where she's like, you have to kiss a frog to get a handsome prince, you know, and that sort of a thing. And I'm like, yeah, who wouldn't want to be kissed by Dulcia? I'm just saying. But <laughs> anyway, moving on. So we get what? Moving on. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, but <laughs> but you know, so we get a very similar scene to that. We're introduced to the new swords, who thank God are practical effects. Oh, I can tell what they are. <laughs> oh. oh God, they look so much better. Yeah. Um, so the thing that so the function that Ninja serves at the beginning is he's something of a new mentor, teaches them their new powers, gives them their new swords, and then they go off and they do their thing. But then he keeps coming back periodically to help them fight the monster of the week. Right. 
Which and, is pretty fun. And, one of the, and, and one then of the he becomes the about... damsel in distress. <laughs> <laughs> well, because he gets one of the other... into a jar and kept on the moon by Lord Zed. One of the other interesting things about Ninjor is that when he does when he when he does grow large, he transforms into a big blue samurai, mm-hmm. basically. Um, which is why they can kind of, which is why they justify him joining in on like the Zord battles. I think, uh, and oh, the, one of the funny things about Ninja is he rides in on a cloud, which always makes me think of that song. Yeah. He, it always makes me, it always makes me think of that song growing up when I, when I went to church, like riding on a cloud, shining like the sun. Yeah. Well, that's, that's again, tapping into some, uh, uh, some Asian folklore there, specifically the tale of the monkey King uh, journey to the West. Cause he would ride on a cloud. Mm-hmm. That's why if you watch dragon ball Z, Goku flies on Nimbus. That's where it came from. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's why you have me around <laughs> for your wealth of knowledge. Yes. So that is our that's our mentor and allies for this season. Do you want to talk mm-hmm. about the villains now? Oh, so we got th- uh, we have a few new villains. Well, well, let's talk about the Tangas because there's they're the least to talk about there. It's the Tangu yeah. from the movie, but given a little but a slightly tweaked name, a different origin, a very different origin, uh, an origin that makes more sense to be honest <laughs> compared to the movie. And they were a wedding gift. Yeah, they were a wedding gift from another character we'll talk about. Uh, and he made them by planting eggs mm-hmm. because that's how this works. You plant a, you plant eggs on the moon and get bird men, which are supposed to be the most evil and vile and vicious creatures in the universe. Apparently so they replaced the putties and I immediately missed the putties. <laughs> these I, things are know, they have more personality because they can talk unlike the putties right. but they're not nearly as interesting to see they're not uh they're not as i just don't like them nearly as much as the putties and they're they're bird brains they're idiots they're buffoons which goes along with the tone they're trying to strike because even though there are stories in this that are really good they start turning some of the villains into buffoons this season. And I it's don't necessarily like it. I mean, if it was just, if they just had one character who was a buffoon, one villain who's a buffoon, I could go along with this, but they kind of make all of them buffoons and it undermines their threat level a little bit. It does. I mean, I think you, you best summed it up as just, they are bird brains. Like they are, they're yeah. played, they're played for laughs. They are, I mean, it's not the, I mean, it's not like the putties were super serious, honestly. No, but the putties uh, I but, feel like are more in, there's, they're inherently scarier because they're just big mounds of humanoid clay. So there's this, there's this, they're just human enough that they, it, it becomes a little bit scary. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. otherworldly, but they have enough humanity at least you know like humanity in them yeah you know yeah because they're golems that's what they're called in jew ranger they're called golems and then that's a whole other myth to itself the you know the tale of the golem but the tangas are they're playful even their theme song insults them (laughs) 
it, I mean, that's, this, it does start a trend. I of, mean, the putties didn't have a theme song. The tangas get a theme song, and no. it's a theme song that mocks them. It does, I and mean, it's true. But it, that's true. But it just it just plays into the fact that they're that the 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 foot soldiers like we don't get serious foot soldiers until in space. Well, no, I think the cogs. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So the cogs, you're right. The cog, the cogs are, the cogs are a little bit more on, on, in the line with, in line with putties, but uh, I mean, the tangas are fine. They're not, they're not the best. In fact, they're, they're really annoying. Honestly, I would much rather hear someone, I would much rather hear than that's my putty impersonation. I, I mean, I I don't I don't like the I don't like the tingas. They're nothing special to me. But honestly, I don't you know it does they don't bother me either. It didn't stop you from telling me from immediately telling me to get you the tanga figure I found <laughs> at my Walmart when because it, it was lightning collection. And, <laughs> and you know what? Um, and you know what the, the 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 dumb thing about that is? Uh, I found one a week later. And I ended up paying double. I ended up paying double from you, and I should have just bought it at my Walmart. But <laughs> I digress. Yeah, but I yeah we digress. Then the first major villain, new villain we need to talk about is Rito Revolto. Rito Revolto, Rita's brother, her younger brother, who looks like a skeleton covered half in camo. Because he's got a helmet, and uh, he has a, a bone sword. The, and well, he, is the- a, he is a complete and utter idiot. He has a bit of a Texas accent, so I'm like, is he supposed to be like you know, a hillbilly a little bit or something? You know, playing he's a little of, bit. He sort stereotype. of loses... You know, he sort of loses that accent a little bit as the show progresses. Um, it gets a lot more high pitched and a lot more raspy. But when he first comes on, it's how y'all doing there, Ed? Like yeah. I'm Rito uh, Revolta. How you doing there, Ed? This, uh, uh, when I do my Rito voice, it just kind of sounds like uh, a less gravelly version of my Captain Gordon. Uh, how you doing, Ed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. So, and who and this guy, and he is, he's from Kaku Ranger and he's completely different in Kaku Ranger from what I understand. In Kaku Ranger, he's a really dark, scary character. Oh no, he's a very, he's like this, um, I don't know really necessarily how to describe, because in, in Kaku Ranger, uh, Rito has two forms. He has a human form, which looks just like a, uh, a neo punk rock a neo punk rocker um, with tattoos, earrings, uh, a, a mohawk, and uh, he wears a lot of camo. And then he can transform into this skeleton creature that totes a bone sword and a bone machine gun, which, which they did I, not use, <laughs> which they did not use because we have said it already enough the uses of the use of weapons gets to a concerningly low level yeah. as we go on. Although they did let him use a flamethrower early on. Uh, this is true. This is true. They, I think it was in the first, maybe it was in the first episode, the first couple episodes he was in. He did. He did use a flamethrower well, when he was big. Right. We also, they also changed how the monsters get big in this. Now it's Rita and now it's Rita and, 
and Zed combining their wand and staffs staff. Yeah, because and it's a new chant too. It's like by the power and force of lightning, make our monster grow. Yeah. And it, it that's just a way for them to work in the Cocker Ranger footage because in the Cocker Ranger footage, there's a lightning effect that does enhance the the size of the monsters. Yeah. yeah. And 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 that comes from on and and that comes from um, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a little while since I've watched Cocker Ranger. The monsters grow by unrolling a scroll, which is very Japanese. Yeah. Very, very Japanese. Yeah, very Japanese. So Rito's uh, introduced. He's a buffoon, complete and utter buffoon. And he's a testament to uh, what they start doing because even the characters that we've had, the villains that we've had so far, start going this route. Goldar, because he starts hanging out with Rito a lot. At first, he's just annoyed with Rito. He's like, I can't stand Mm. you. You know, and Rito is acting like basically that red, your, you know, your redneck brother <laughs> you know, at the family reunion all the time, making yeah. body odor jokes and all kinds of things. And he can't remember people's names and he's a dork, just a complete and utter dork. So, like I said, at first, Goldar's annoyed with Rito, doesn't want to put mm. up with his crap. But then it seems like the more he hangs out with Rito, the more he becomes like Rito. Well, so it's... In- we had it's the great neutering of Zed. Now we have the great neutering of Goldar. Well, it's it's basically the the writers of the show said, you know, what would be awesome if we had the monster version of Balkan Skull. Well, the funny thing is, is there's a, <laughs> a Rita in the, that two parter when Balkan Skull find her in the. Uh, in the dumpster <laughs> she calls them squat and baboo <laughs> so we already had that as squat and baboo I mean, they're still here they don't do anything but they're yeah. still around the just the characterization of uh, of goldar for for season for from season two to season three because i think we we talked about it when we talked about season two where um goldar was still a serious character but just would get slightly annoyed with the shenanigans going on in the palace. Now he, and he is, he is all a part of the shenanigans and the shtick in the palace. Like it's, it's very hard for me in season three to take uh Goldar and Rito very seriously. Honestly, Goldar and Rito don't become useful until the last 10 episodes of the season. Yeah. It's very disappointing after what we've been used to for a while. And is, and unfortunately, it doesn't really get any better after this. In fact, it, and in fact, it gets worse next season. It does. And although some of that stuff is kind of funny and a little bit endearing, it's still it's I still miss the good old days at this. I'm still missing in the good old days when you know, Goldar was a menace and actually a force and, and something to be uh, afraid of. Yeah. Now it's he's one ju- of the, now. Good. I was going to say, it's one of those points where you start to notice that the show is devolving into self parody. Yeah. Yeah. But then we have one more villain, a one we can take a heck of a lot more seriously. Mm-hmm. Although he still gets put into some, less than serious situations. And that is Rita's dad. 
Yes. Uh, Master Vile. Vile. Who Master is Vi- the main villain in Kaku Ranger. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which, in, even in Kaku Ranger, he's still... Re- like, I don't remember the name of... of Reed. I don't remember Rito's counterpart's name in Kaku Ranger. Um, but he is... Even Rito's dad in Cocker Ranger, so it's still it's going to be a family affair all the way all around, and yeah. I think that I think I'm glad that uh, Power Rangers actually kept that kind of that running theme with season three because season three yeah. is very much about family, and we can talk about that a little bit later when we get into kind of themes and overall overall thoughts on the season. Yeah. But yeah, um, the debut of Master Vile was was interesting because at this point, you know, we've seen, we've seen, we've seen Rita, which was, um, uh, Rita's, Rita's brother. And then along comes master vile and in true Zed fashion, master vile shows up and Zed of course says, who the heck are you? And then she says, Zeddy, that's my father. And it's, and it's billed as this big revelation, like this big revelatory moment. But, and, and for the first couple of episodes, it is, it is a really big deal, but it doesn't, it doesn't take long before, you know, that is sort of played for laughs as well. It is, but on paper, this sounds great. So you have this, you have another power hungry would be universal conqueror coming in Mm. that's serious competition for zed right there but then it's oh he's also my father-in-law there's extra competition right there because it's the other most important man in his wife's life which is a little bit true to life that's kind of a thing that happens when you get married (laughs) suddenly the husband's the most important man in the woman's life and not the dad anymore right so that's a recipe for conflict Right. And sometimes conflict can happen as well in families um, when the wife, uh, the wife still takes the word or takes the, I don't know, takes the side of her father over her husband. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't have, we don't have time to hash out like family dynamics from that perspective. I'm just saying on two levels, this guy is a threat and competition for Zed. So it's no wonder he's just like, I hate this guy. <laughs> like Zed is, Zed is, is hating every moment of this. Every, like some of the most, it's like, it's so, it's so depressing some days you, or some, not some days, but some episodes you'll see Zed just sitting on his, th- his throne all slumped over with his hand, with his head in his hand saying, my God, how, like thinking to himself, my God, how did I get here? <laughs> I used to be the, I used to be the ruler of, of the galaxies. Now I'm listening to my loudmouth wife argue with her father. So, yeah, basically. So it's, it's kind of a weird juxtaposition where it's kind of trying to have its cake and eat it too. <laughs> in a yeah. way where it wants to use the, it wants to have the comedy, but it also wants to have yet another very potent threat. And Master Vile is a, just a nutty design. He's a massive suit. He has a big kind of T-shaped head that almost looks like horns. He has he has little glasses that stick on his nose. And he talks a little bit with a British accent, kind of like this. A little bit, yeah. 
He has <laughs> he has sort of a British announcer voice to him. Yeah, um, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, which is a little bit of a but thing. Master, it goes back to but, World War II movies where everyone was being made in Britain, so they had British actors playing Germans. So Yeah. <laughs> and that's why all the villains in Star Wars have British accents. <laughs> and it's, 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 part of that it's kind of a, it. It's kind of funny because it's implied sometime in the season where uh, Master Vile says something to the effect, this is paraphrasing, but something to the effect of, I heard about you got, I heard about your wedding to Lord Zed and I couldn't believe it. So I had to come see it for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, you know, it kind of, we- it kind of weaves into the plot of, oh, you know, even the combination of Zed and Rita has not been able to defeat Zordon and the Power Rangers. So he's there to do it himself. <laughs> yeah, here we go again. <laughs> so, yeah, so he comes in relatively close to the end of the season and they'll shake some things up, but then he leaves at the beginning of the Alien Ranger stuff. So, I want to, but I, I want to mention something really quick. I want, well, I want to ask you something really quickly. Like, is this the first? Like, this is the first time in Ranger history that we've got. Well, no, I take that back because Serpentera is technically a flying fortress. So, I kind of want to because Master Vile rides around in a big skull ship shaped like his own head, and I think that is just wonderful and over the top in, in so many glorious ways, but that's master vile master vile. Um, he sticks around for a few episodes. Like he's in and out. Uh, he's pretty, he's pretty integral to one specific plot where he, the, where the goal is he is going to steal nin- He's going to steal Ninjor's powers by using a creature he makes himself called the blue globber, which is this ridiculous blue creature that sucks, which is actually kind of mildly terrifying. If you really think about it, sucks the life force out of its victims and, and changes itself into, uh, into, uh, a clone basically of, of the, of the, of the life force that he sucked into it, which, which it's really interesting how they recontextualize that, um, Cocker Ranger footage because it is blatantly obvious when, uh, especially when he's draining the, uh, when he's draining Ninja of his power, when he's draining Ninja of his powers, you know, the faces of all the Cocker Rangers start popping up <laughs> yes. all over his body. <laughs> I and, remember that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I mean, you, you, you could, you could, you could recontextualize that and say that he's, forming himself into his own ranger i guess i don't i mean okay whatever it's weird um it's weird it's just it's just it's just really yeah. weird is the, that like, also the it, episode where the rangers get glitter mode uh yes because it's called master vile and the metallic armor yes oh my gosh yes i remember that analyzers are going to be a trope in Power Rangers going forward, this has to be the it's the, the precursor. It's the it's the worst prototype because they built this up. It's like we need to get metallic armor to fight him, and they just throw some glitter on the suits and call it a new mode. So glitter spandex is a thing in Power <laughs> Rangers now. Um, well, if you watch Ultraman Trigger, he has a glitter mode now too, but they actually changed the design. 
Oh, well, that's nice. Anyway. So let's um, talk about the Zords. Yeah, we let's get, talk about this. We get three <laughs> new sets of Zords because we need to sell them toys. <laughs> so we have the Ninja Zords, which actually first showed up in the movie. So what do we have? So we had a frog, a falcon, a the the red ape. The bear. The, the bear. The crane. The crane. That's five. Who's missing? Uh, what's the wolf. blue one? The wolf. The wolf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we had all. Uh, so we had all of those. So very different. The, I think Cocker Ranger is based more in either mythic animals or zodiac animals. Uh, mythic animals. Uh, if I'm not well, mistaken, no, more, when I say mythic, I mean more like the four guardians. That sort of a thing. Well, no, that was the white tiger. So I'm completely wrong. So it's probably it's zodiac animals. So um, yeah. So ninja zords. Uh, the frog is probably the weirdest one because the frog has more cultural significance in mm. Japan than it does here. Uh, so it makes more sense over there. And again, it also plays into all the ninja stuff there as well. Right. The Like if you heard my episode on the magic serpent, they, you know, uh, like because uh, Jiraiya turned into a toad. So it's that's where it came from. In fact, I even talked about Kaku Ranger and Mighty Morphin Season 3 in that episode saying, yeah, that's what inspired it. So you have that going along with it. Zords are pretty are pretty cool, but we're again continuing the trend of have a one cool sequence with the individual Zords and they combine and that's it. Yeah. So they don't really yeah, do anything by themselves. And then the the well, okay. So they the they do, and then they they do have a couple of episodes where they actually do do things by themselves. Like the Red Ape Zord has two sword, like he can wield two uh, a double sword, or that turns into a, a big uh, a lan or a, a lancer sword, or a I don't know what that's called. Um, the bear, a rapier, it's a ta- a rapier, maybe I think maybe a rapier is what it's uh, what what I'm thinking of, but uh, the bear, its attack is it can cause earthquakes with its stomp, like it can rear back and stomp and cause earthquakes. Uh, the frog can multiply into other little tiny frogs, which is adorable. Um, the wolf can spin around and hit people, and apparently his tail is a knife, which I'm really curious why they never did anything with that. Like the, the wolf's tail can turn into a blade, but the Megazord never did anything with it, but whatever. Yeah. Um, the, the Falcon can shoot. It has missiles. Uh, it has missiles in its wings, which is pretty yeah. cool. The Falcon uh, the probably cra- does the most by itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the Falcon is the most versatile by it's similar to the tiger Zord. It is the most versatile Zord of by itself, which rightfully so it belongs to Tommy, the leader. Um, yeah. what am I missing? The crane? Oh, the other crane, uh, the crane. What does the crane do? Like, does the crane shoot lasers from its eyes? I think, I think? so. It has some it? armaments. It has some armaments, like it but does, yeah, like there are, there is a few, but there is a few, I get to, I, I say that because there is a few scenes in cock or I'm not cocky ranger in season three where, uh, they do use their weapons. It's just not very often it is, but you're right. It is typically you, you see the group sequence of them running and then they transform and, and that's it. Yeah. And I think we're also starting, I don't mean this to sound like I'm criticizing Sentai, 
maybe, I don't know, but I feel like we're starting to get diminishing returns with the Zords because after the glory that was the the Dino Megazord, it just hasn't been quite the same. The Thunder Megazord was pretty cool. The Ninja Megazord, it's okay. It's not the worst. I wouldn't say it's the greatest either. And the Shogun Zord, the Shogun Zords that you really start getting diminishing returns with them because they just all look the same. Mm-hmm. Just different colors. The, They're very uniform. Well, different color. Well, different colors, but uh, they're, if you look closely, if you look a little bit closer at their helmets, their, their helmets, uh, their faces rather resemble the Zodiac animals. Yeah. That's what I was, that's what I was thinking of with the Zodiac animals. So, so then they, they're a thing. They're all humanoid. They kind of do stuff on their own and then they combine into, Oh my gosh, dude, the, the Shogun Zord is almost like the me- the Ultra Zord in season one because when the Shogun Zord shows up, it's not on screen for very long, and that suit is so huge and bulky, it basically just shows up and does its finishing move, and it's done because it can't really it's, do anything. I mean, is it's it, still a pretty impressive effect, though. It is, but it just whips out its fire sword and does it. The other thing is that, again... Going tapping into the fact that Kaku Ranger is extremely Japanese. The Shogun Megazord looks like a traditional Japanese building, just hmm? as a robot. It's a castle. Yeah. It's a castle as a robot. Mm-hmm. It's just odd. Now the the Ninja Megazord would do crazy things like it had finishing moves where it would punch things, but it would it, uh, the wolf and the and the ape made its fists. So when it was throwing its finishing punches, they would overlay it with the animal and they would make a roar. So it's like, oh, the gorilla roar and then the the wolf would would roar or growl or whatever. The wolf wolf would howl. Would howl as it was throwing punches. Yeah, this one is just like fire sword done. (laughs) The suit's huge. I mean, you're right. It is. It's a even in the scenes where um even in the scenes with with Ninja Mega with with the ninjas with the Ninja Megazord and the Shogun Zord on screen together, if I'm even even if I'm remembering correctly, in Cocker Ranger, the Shogun Megazord didn't do a whole lot. It was yeah. it's just such a massive it's just such a massive suit. It's I would attribute like the closest the only the the closest thing that I can think of that's just as bulky if is probably the Thunder Megazord is pretty bulky. Um, but not but as Thunder bulky Megazord as still did more, right? But it's not. But it's similar. It's it's in similar design or similar style as um, uh, the Mega Tiger Zord when it would combine with the the Pegasus and the Griffin and the Firebird, yeah. and it would just kind of stand there and shoot the Firebird, and then one and done. It was just kind of like yeah. that. Like, and you're yeah, right. Basically. And I think that's what you're getting to. I think that's what you were getting to when you were comparing the Shogun Megazord to um, to sort of an Ultra Zord. I think the most interesting thing about the Shogun Megazord, at least you know, contextualized in this season, is the the episodes leading up to when the Rangers are able to obtain it, because uh, that's when we get that's we're right in the middle of. Um, the transitionary period where Kimberly is about to leave the show. In fact, uh, 
uh, it's maybe like an episode or two after they get the Shogun Megazord that she actually does leave the show. Yeah. Yeah. Which is called, which is, um, which, well, well, one notable episode that we can talk about is, um, the we'll changing of it. the Zord. Yeah. 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 We'll get to it. There's uh, cause there's some interesting things that happen, but then we also have that. Oh my gosh. I'm glad they didn't do it for very much, but we did Titanus came back out of nowhere when I thought all those Zords were gone. And to form the Ninja Falcon Ultra Zord. Which just sounds like a ridiculous (laughs) mouthful. But here's the thing. Titanus is from a completely different Sentai. So how do you make this work? Well, we'll we'll make original footage. Okay. How are we going to do that? Are we going to get the suits brought over and just replicate some stuff? Nope. We're going to do miniatures with the toys. If you ever needed an illustration to show that this show could be a flagrant toy commercial, this has to be one of the most toyetic things that I have seen in Tokusatsu. Literally using the action figures to do special effects for the Zords. Not props, the Zords. I mean... It's not the only time this has happened. <laughs> I mean, to be fair though, in even in even in Zhu Ranger, they used the toys for the Ultra Zord sequence. They if did. you remember yeah, they did. If you remember, um there's one scene, well, it's not just the Ultra Zord sequence, but uh even in um I think it's um, it's it's towards the end of Cocker Ranger. This is not really a spoiler, by the way, because I know you've not finished Cocker Ranger. Uh, or not Cocker Ranger. I know you've not finished Zhu Ranger. Um, towards the end of Zhu Ranger, the Guardian Beasts appear to them in the to appear to the Zhu Rangers in the sky, and it's obviously the Bandai toys talking to them. Oh boy. Oh boy. Okay. Well. So there's precedent sure. for it. Okay. Sure. Well, not necessarily the best precedent to follow. Looking at you, Turbo. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to be hating on Turbo before we even get there. Oh, anyway, uh, so then we have one more set of Zords to talk about the Battle Borgs, which are uh, the the, uh, the Alien Rangers Zords. And I actually like the concept behind this. I, I think it's too. a really interesting idea where they they say they control it through telepathy, but it's basically... They don't pilot them. They stand off mm-hmm. to the side, and whatever they do, the Zords mimic. So they watch the battle, and the logistics of it does don't quite make sense. But it's over. But it's overwritten sure. by the cool factor. But sure. so whatever yeah. they do on the ground, the Zords mimic, which I really like. So they're, I guess, so I guess theoretically, you could say like, so the those Zords could be destroyed, and they don't have to worry about dying, right? That's the, and, that's the main benefit. Yeah. And then they come, they, they'll team up with the Shogun Zords and do a little combining with the Shogun Zords and stuff like that. And, you know, they're again, a team of very similar looking humanoid Zords, but they're different colors. And yeah, so it's kind of the Shogun Zords, but, a, you know, with a cool, uh, well, I should say a cooler way to control them. Mm. And they're more, um, they're more humanoid 
I'm trying to think of something. I'm, I'm trying to think of something that's a good comparison to them. Um, think of it. And this is not a great comparison, but we're going to go with it anyway. Think of like one of the early prototypes of the Iron Man suit. Yeah. So there you go. It's, it's a lot more, it's a lot more armored. It's a lot more humanoid. And I think, like you said, what makes them cool is just by the, is the way they control them. Now we of course have to ignore the physics and the mechanics behind it. Sure. Like we're already suspending our disbelief at this point. Why not a little bit more? Yeah, basically. So those are our Zords for the season. Not quite as cool as I think what we've had before, but again, try topping Jew Ranger. I dare you. It's tough. But it's tough. It's 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 really tough. I, I think there are gonna. I, I think there are going to come. There are going to be seasons that come later, that come close. At least, I know that the Ninja Megazord, and I know the Ninja Zords are a fan favorite. Like a lot, a lot of Ranger fans love the Zords from this season, and for good reason. I like them too. I. It's just hard for me. For, it's just hard for me to not like uh, the the original season Zords more. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk. We've already talked about the blue globber. Uh, let's discuss a few other noteworthy. We've talked about sea monster just because he's nuts. But mm-hmm. what are a couple of other monsters of the week that we can highlight real quick before we get into you know the heart of the season, talking about story and theme. I think. I think we would be doing sort of this season a, a a disservice if we didn't talk about um about one of the villains or one of the one of the monsters of the week called the Hate Master. Uh and so the so the, yeah. the premise the premise of that of that whole monster the, the premise of that plot is uh Zed and Rita find these seeds and they uh, they're and they find these seeds, they cast a spell on them. Um, basically to make the entire world hate each other, which is an incredibly heavy handed message. I get it. But I think in the context of a kid's show, they do a really good job of addressing, uh, really heavy, complex topics like prejudice and hate and discrimination Yeah, because the, in a way, in the, a, uh, the main focus of that, it's a two-parter, right? I think it's a two-parter. No, I think it's a, is it a one-parter or t- I think it's a, I thought, I think it's just a one-parter. It's a one-off. It's one of the one, it's one of the few one-off episodes in this season. I don't know, but I think it's a two-parter, but regardless, the, uh, the uh, main focus of the episode's Aisha. So it's the black mm-hmm. girl. So we yes. have to call a lot of attention to that. So we're mm-hmm. talking about prejudice and hate, and we're making the black girl the big main focus of it. Right. Because I think the rest of the Rangers still get affected by it. They do. If I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. <sighs> you know, it's, it's a heavy handed episode. It comes very close to the, you know, if you grew up in the nineties, you'll understand this, a very special episode. Yeah. 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 So uh, while I appreciate its intentions, it's not Godzilla versus Hedora where it can be heavy handed, but then be so stylistic and weird it over it. It can get over the fact that it's heavy handed. Mm-hmm. Now you are, you are correct. I was, I was actually wrong on this one. The stop it's episodes 12 and 13, uh, stop the hate master. 
Yeah. So it, so it, that one is a two-parter. Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, but I think that, you know, for it having such a heavy handed message, it did a good job of contextualizing it for a younger audience to understand. Yeah. I'll give you that. I mean, it, it took a, it took a, it took a really, com- it took a really complex topic of prejudice and contextualize it in a way that was acceptable, in a way that was, uh, in a good way that was understandable. For mm-hmm. a younger audience, I should say that. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. What are some other ones you have? Um. Let's see here. Uh. Obviously, let's let's talk about. Uh. Since we're on, since we can't leave season three without talking a little bit more about the alien rangers, let's talk about the Hydra Hog. Yeah, the Hydra Hog, <laughs> their arch nemesis. <laughs> so the whole premises, the whole premise uh, of the Hydra Hog is. The Hydra Hog is basically the Zed of Aquatar. He is the arch nemesis of the Alien Rangers. And at this point in the season, it's a, I think this is like the next to last episode or something. No, it's the last two. Is it the last two? Okay. So it's the last two episodes of season of, of this season. Um, Zed and Rita have, have not found any way of stopping the alien Rangers or the, or the young power Rangers at this point. So they devise a plot to bring the arch nemesis of the alien Rangers to earth to fight them himself. And this raises some concerns for our Aquatarian Rangers. Um, to describe the Hydro Hog, he is a, to me, I don't know, I can't remember what his yokai is supposed to be, but he is a, he, he, he looks like a big blue frog, uh, and he just consumes a lot of water. And so the, the yeah. whole plot is if the Hydro Hog drinks all the water on Earth, there will be no water left for the alien rangers to drink, so eventually well, they will die. It's also going to destroy the world because, well, well, water. Yeah, so there's a lot more riding on that. But yeah, so that was an interesting way to end the season, to say the least. Not the most memorable monster of the week, but there are worse. What's um? I'll ask you since I've since I've said a couple. What is uh? Oh, I've couple, mentioned a couple uh, already. You know, sea monster and <laughs> the that's that's probably the one that stands out the most to me. <laughs> Crabby cabby. <laughs> oh my gosh, that one-off episode. <laughs> I'm just looking over my notes. I'm like what other kaijin? Oh, not kaijin. I think I'm. I suddenly I think I'm back on Henshin. Oh, Vampirus. He comes back a couple of times. He was in the Oh, va- yeah, yeah, Vampirus, yeah. Vampirus. Uh some of the some of the uh some of the Cocker Ranger villains that were uh used during the the Alien Ranger saga are pretty cool, like Eric and Merrick the Barbaric, which um totally different characterization in the Sentai. Um so th- essentially they're they're two alcoholics. And they, they basically drink alcohol and fight and spit fire. That is, that is what they do. Wow. In the same time. Fun. Yeah. Did you have any others? Uh, no, that's, that's the kind of, that's the ones that stick out. Well, okay. So one more, I was, I was, I was going to skip this one, but I, I feel like it's kind of important. Uh, the sinister Simeon. Oh yes. Uh, the, the sinister Simeon. 
uh, a monkey dressed as a dressed as Bob Marley. Um, <laughs> so so basically, uh, Zed and Rita turn a monkey into a monster, but the rangers know who the monkey is because the monkey belongs to somebody and they don't want to kill the monkey. So they do everything to stop it. And eventually they give it a potion that turns it back into a regular monkey. And that's how they, that's how they defeat it. So it, it, it is notable because it is one of the few times you see the rangers defeat a monster without killing it. Yeah. Yeah. The the conundrum is they don't want to kill the monkey. Yeah. So we, we've hinted at it already, but it's kind of funny how this worked out, but the main theme of this season seems to be family. Mm -hmm. It's true for the villains, especially. And it's also true for the Rangers, particularly people like Kim. Mm Hmm. We mentioned before that Kim is a child of divorce, which was kind of a big deal to talk about that on a children's show and make one of your characters a child of divorce. Well, over the course of the series, Kim's mother has remarried, so she has a stepfather now. And something that they do to help account for the fact that Amy Jo Johnson was leaving was they said her mother remarried and she married a Frenchman and she's moving to France. She wanted Kim to come with her, obviously, but Kim didn't want to leave because she said, all my friends are here in Angel Grove at the school, which is a very real thing that Mm -hmm. kids in that situation have to deal with or just if they have to move to a new place. So what she does is she says, hey, can I finish out the school year so I can have time to say goodbye to everybody? And she knew that she was going to have to, you know, step down as a ranger because of it, which right. seems kind of odd because if you can teleport, why not? But anyway, beside the point. Well, and then it got even more complicated as we want to, cause she had to deal with family. And then we find out that, well, and then later on it gets more complicated because there is a, the most German of German, <laughs> the most Germany of German, gymnastics coaches shows up and says, you're really good. I want to train you for the pan global games, the Olympics. Okay. Just say the Olympics. And so at the end of the episodes, after she does a bunch of training that gets screwed up by Catherine and her range of responsibilities. She, he says, I want to take you to Florida and train. Mm-hmm. So she had to leave. Yeah. So it's got to move to move with her parents and training for basically the Olympics. So there, there was, they had to wrestle with a lot of that stuff. And like I said, that three-parter where she leaves should be the model for how you do this, but they never follow Mm -hmm. it again. And because she's trying very hard to balance it. There's very clear conflict with her secret identity because she's trying really hard to split her time, but keep her secret identity. And the villains are just running her ragged because so, because they know it's a little bit of a Rita wants to be petty episode, but it actually has a bit more resonance than normal because of that. Yeah, and it's they, you know, it it does do a good job of causing enough conflict between her personal life and her ranger life and her duty as a ranger 
to almost cost her this opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it come, it, it, they toyed around, like, you know, obviously I don't think the writers were going to ever going to let her you lose the opportunity because Amy Jo Johnson was indeed leaving the show. But, um, it does toy with that idea in a really good way. Like it almost convinces you that, that she's going to lose this opportunity. Yeah. They work very hard at doing it. The, it the episode does unfortunately call into questions like, okay, you had to go on a whole dang quest to find a special sword to transfer powers. And now you can just give people power coins and that's it. But okay. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, that, that is part. Okay. So if, if there, if there's anything that bugs me about the, the way that the way this whole thing was written, that's one of them because again, like, like you said, they had to, they had to go through these, uh, life threatening circumstances to get a sword and, you can just give someone a coin and say, here you go. Yeah. But the, I think that's the biggest thing when it comes in terms of the uh, family, when, uh, with the Rangers mm -hmm. and to a certain extent, I think you could say that the Rangers are kind of a, they're friends, but they're also a, kind of a family. found family in a way. Mm -hmm. Cause she's having to pick, do I keep this family, my friends, my comrades in arms, or do I go with my mother and my stepfather now? to you know really far away and then there's this and she's like she's getting pulled in so many directions and yeah so trying to balance all of that you know familial responsibilities to a certain you know family loyalty uh being true to herself and pursuing her dreams and you know zordon as this surrogate father is very understanding about it. it's like hey i don't want to deprive you of this it seems kind of mm -hmm. weird that you would think being a superhero and saving the world trumps going to the Olympics, but sure, <laughs> you know, let's not argue with it too hard because it kind of yeah. undermines the genuine emotion of the episodes. It's, it's handled surprisingly well, as much as power Rangers leans into camp, even this season, especially, but they really handled this very well. Yeah, they did. Yeah. So I was, I was yeah. very happy with that. And then obviously with the villains, it's, Basically, a, it kind of turns into a bit of a family sitcom after time goes on because you got the brother <laughs> and the husband and the father-in-law, the, the and the goofy cousins, the I best, guess. The, the goofy cousin or the brother's best friend or yeah, something. Uh, um, you know, it, it it does. You're right. It does turn into this like suit. It just turned. It turns into this family sitcom, this family affair, and. You know, it, that's why we wanted to bring up, uh, you know, the theme for this season being family, because it's just it's one. It's just obvious because even in even in certain episodes like uh, like Stop the Hate Master, you know, Aisha has a very intimate moment with her grandmother. Yes. Uh, and so that is um, so that plays a lot into into family and family history and family responsibility. Yeah. Um, yeah, which we also get a little bit of that. We get more of that actually in some of the 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 Alien Ranger things because what? Okay, to set up the Alien Ranger miniseries because it's at once part of season three, but also kind of separate from it because it takes place right after. It's a basically like I said, it's a ten episode miniseries. I really don't understand why it had to be sort of separate from Mighty Morphin because honestly, because that's how it is. That's the stupid thing. On Netflix right now, they only have Mighty Morphin and one random season of Ninja Steel and then the newer stuff. 
Okay, the last mm-hmm. two series, Beast Morphers and Dino Fury. So if you were trying to bend your way through Mighty Morphin, it's going to end on a really obnoxious cliffhanger. <laughs> but then even if you watch Alien Rangers, that ends on a cliffhanger. <laughs> it's just cliffhanger and cliffhanger. But to set that up, we once again turned the Rangers into kids, but now it's because Zed uh, saw Superman the movie. It's like, hey, I could do that. And then spins the world backwards and every and reverts the Rangers back and you know, like five years and the rest of the world, apparently, because nobody knows what monsters of the Rangers are. So it's, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. When I was watching, so it, like, I was like, if you thought the time travel in Godzilla versus King Ghidorah made no sense, this makes even less sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we can't, for, and we can't neglect not talking about while all of this is going on. There are, tiny our itty bitty our kid rangers have to go on their own individual quest okay the zeo quest because i'm just saying they did this once before so it's like you're recycling so it's kind of getting off onto a bad foot by recycling something they've already done Mm -hmm. now they got to use those kid actors again and i will give those kid actors credit most of them are pretty good at emulating the adult actors i kind of wonder what the adult actors were doing because they're almost not in this unless you're billy because for some odd reason, by like episode three, they fix Billy and make him his normal age again. Yeah. And I don't know why he's the only one that does, but okay. But so that's why they have to bring in the Aquatarian Rangers to basically fill in while the Rangers are trying to fix their problems. So the Mighty Morphin powers are gone. So the Mighty Morphin powers kind of go out with a little bit of a whimper, to be honest, mm-hmm. despite the fact that the end of that episode, which is Rangers in reverse and the beginning of the alien rangers is kind of epic because rita zed gold i think it's goldar and rita all make themselves huge but only last yes. for about two minutes <laughs> until master vile turns them back into their regular yeah. sizes again yes. and it was actually original miniatures mm-hmm. which was kind of fun but so anyway despite that and you know and bulk and scholar kids are kids and just yeah it's just the whole thing just I have opinions. Uh, <laughs> but they end up going on what they quote unquote Zeo quest, which we had seen the Zeo crystal earlier in the season, but it was this really powerful MacGuffin. They're like, we can't let anybody have this. So they broke it off into pieces and scattered it across space and time. So now again, using more confusing time travel shenanigans, gold, uh, not gold, Zordon sends four of the Rangers, right? Cause he doesn't send Billy. No, it's five. No, he doesn't send Billy. He doesn't send Billy. Billy's trying to fix stuff at the command center with Alpha. And so they go off to find all of these bits of the Zeo crystal. So again, more questing, (laughs) more heroes journeys, more go find stuff. My gosh, these characters go on so many quests. (laughs) And they're fetch quests to boost now with this one. So that's what they're doing while the Aquatarian Rangers are trying to deal with more monsters of the week, except for the one episode where they just all decide to stop doing whatever it is they're doing and go to a water park with the flimsiest of excuses. (laughs) Brat boy. (laughs) Which was directed by Paul Schreer, who plays bulk because he wanted to direct an episode, Uh, but yeah. uh, Yeah. The, (laughs) 
the alien. So in concept, I'm not opposed to this, but there's just a lot of things that don't make any sense. The time travel doesn't make any sense. Some of the decisions that they made, they really lean into the campy comedy and things like that. And it's just not quite working. I was having a hard time getting into it. But all of that to say, going back to the theme of family, Aisha goes to Africa to find her bit of the Zeo crystal. And I guess, mm-hmm. like I said, I think this is supposed to be years in the past. And she conveniently meets a woman, an old woman who is helping out with an African tribe, doing stuff with the animals there. I think mm-hmm. it. she says, like, you remind me of my great, great aunt or something that my mom told me about. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And she yeah. meets her parents. No, no. I'm thinking of Zeo because I'm getting her replacement mixed up with her because she meets another girl there named Tanya. Mm-hmm. And then they befriend each other. They go to this village and it, the, basically we find out that it is her great aunt more or less. And she's like, you are the chosen one and you have to help us with the animals. And she decides I'm going to stay and help with the animals. And I'm just like, this is the most rush. This is the polar opposite of a new, of a different shade of pink. And yeah. <laughs> it's just, so shoehorned and I have so many questions like what do you mean chosen one what are you talking about and it's just working with sick animals what is that what why are you talking about like legends and prophecies and just oh it's so confusing I'm assuming like I'm assuming the animal like it's implied that the the animals have this hyper version of rabies or something some kind of something like that Uh, it's just the whole thing's weird and oh my gosh! And in the first episode, they all the kids also do the just you know sit on my shoulders and pretend to be an adult thing, which was just oh my gosh! If we were going episode by episode, I would just be losing my mind with some of these. Oh god! Yeah, yeah. it's just and, well, it's a little I, bit painful at points. Like really, guys, how hard are you going to lean into this? I will say though, I will say though that School Marm Billy is pretty funny. Like when, 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 when Billy has to be the parent in the room to some of these kids, it's, it is pretty funny. It makes yeah. for some funny situations. Yeah, so I guess we got a little bit of that in terms of the family thing. Cause he basically ends up, yeah, you know, the big brother because mm-hmm. he has to deal with, you know, with all of these kids as they're running around doing stuff. And yeah, the, the alien ranger saga is very strange to say the least. And I, unfortunately, I think the problems that season three had, it kind of amplifies a way more than it needed to. Uh And the time travel doesn't quite make sense. And then, like I said, those last few episodes where they just, I mean, they don't even give the original actress. Well, they gave her one last little cameo at the end, but it just, she doesn't really do anything other than walk around. And it was just they so see, weird. Yeah, basically she's on the viewing globe and they're looking and they're saying, they're basically saying, bye Aisha. And yeah. And then yeah. she just sends Tanya with the Zeo crystal and, and, and then, and then Tanya is literally in the command center for all of five minutes. Not even until, that. And the thing blows up. Yeah. Not even that. And it's just, I have opinions about Tanya, which we'll say for Zeo. Cause she, even though she's introduced here, she's really a Zeo character. So she is. Yeah. So, I, like I said, the, the whole thing I don't think was managed very well. But like I said, it still plays into the whole concept of family because a big part of why she stayed was family loyalty. Mm. Yeah. 
So we, you know, we lose, we lose two characters in this season, but one, one is, I mean, Aisha is a significant character. I'm not saying that I, the Aisha character is forgettable, just the, but the way she's written off the show is pretty forgettable. Yeah. Yeah. And you could tell that that was not planned. I don't know why that actress left, but you could tell it was sudden. I would have to do a little bit. I actually, um, honestly, it, this tells you how forgettable it is. I actually forgot that happened until we started talking about it. Yeah, that's because her <laughs> replacement is kind of, that's, okay, I'll say this now. Tanya is so interchangeable with Aisha that the trend, you almost don't notice that a transition happened. Kind of. I mean, I personally like the Aisha character more. I think, I think there's a lot more personality to Aisha than there is Tanya, but that's just, but that's just me. Yeah. We'll get into it more in the next episode, but yeah. So a lot of, so I would say the thing about this season is Mm -hmm. I really do feel like overall the storytelling in a lot of ways got better. It got Mm -hmm. more sophisticated particularly with the Rangers and how they're handling all the stuff with finding new powers and dealing with their responsibilities, dealing with family and making hard choices. That was all great. And also in some ways when the superhero stuff was edit was doing, it was doing well, they were being challenged very hard and making, you know, and crazy things happen, which we'll talk a little bit more about it in the awards. But the problem that you uh, that the show started running into was it started it started making the villains a bit too comical and it was undermining their threat levels. Yeah. And some of it was a continuation of what happened toward the end of season two when the parents groups were getting upset and the censors were coming down harder on them. But it was a trend that I think ended up hurting the show because you'll notice when, when we talk about it, there are moments when with the superhero stuff where it really rose. We've talked about it a bit already where it really rose to the occasion, but that's because they stopped making the villains comical or at mm-hmm. least a, a little bit. Right. Right. Because I think that's what, the problem. It doesn't matter how good your heroes are. If you undermine the threat that is, you know, the threat of the villain, the heroes don't work nearly mm-hmm. as well. I think that the one the one thing about season three that's important to to uh, to I want to tack on to what you were saying there uh, about the storytelling. I think that that this is when you see Power Rangers start toying around with very mature concepts, but they don't necessarily like they don't stick the land like you can see shades of it and we'll get more mature concepts and more mature storytelling later on, but they don't always stick the landing and they just kind of, to me, they kind of just reverted back to the same old shtick of, you know, comedy, a little bit of action and more comedy, you know, more lightheartedness. And I think what I think I'm, that's what I was kind of picking up. Yeah. But the, the thing about season one was that the comedy was generally isolated to the particular comic relief characters. Mm-hmm. Squat and Babu are buffoons and they're there to be comic relief, but they're still useful. Yeah. They're useful. And Skull are comic relief characters, but they're only in the civilian life stuff for the Rangers. 
it's limited right. to there. Mm. And then Rita, despite being Rita, is still a legitimate threat. Goldar is still a legitimate threat. Finster makes legitimate threats. I mean, mm. <laughs> you know, the dynamic still works. I hear what you're saying. I think that when it works, it in season three, particularly when it works, it works like it's uh, it's it's like you and I've talked about before with other seasons, like the highs are really high, but the lows are bottom, like bottom of the barrel low. I think not quite. We haven't gotten there yet. We're getting oh, there, but not quite. Where to I know you're you're trying you're punching down on turbo at this point. You're yes. not you've you've not even given it a chance yet. What are you talking about? I have anyway. We're let's stay focused here. <laughs> Two more episodes and then we'll hash it out, okay? Okay, fine, fine. All right, fine. So we gotta talk so um any more to say on the theme of family? Not really. Just uh, other, uh, like I said, there's a lot of parallelism running through this, and the uh, I think it actually helps to for uh, on the ranger side anyway. I think it helps to elevate things, right? Yeah, and yeah. I do think that family, particularly actual blood family, a lot of times in modern media, which is so weird to think that you know, twenty years a lot can change, but. It's more nowadays when people, when media tackle that concept, it's more of the concept of found family, like Guardians of the Galaxy, bunch of friends who got together and they've become a surrogate family. In here, it's more about actual blood family and the importance of it, mm. or at the or the conflict that can arise from it. You know, Kim having to decide: do I stay or do I go with my mom and stepfather? And it's her stepfather, not her biological father. Right. So there's that to deal with. And then, you know, obviously all of the conflict that erupts because a brother and a father and (laughs) show up and start clashing with the husband with the villains. Mm -hmm. So it's looking at it from both sides. Also, we should mention, since we're talking about family, this is an important thing to mention. We find out because there, there is an episode where Goldar tries to, you know, undo the love spell that Rita yeah. put on Zed. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he succeeds and nothing changes. No. Cause we find out they actually love each other. They're super villains, but they actually love each other. It's one of those, t- it's one of those times where we're, we're giving the villains at least a little bit of nuance there. Mm-hmm. So they're super villains and they bicker, but they actually love each other. This, that love potion means nothing anymore. Yeah. Which is great in terms of the fact that, you know, they're trying to undo it. Then they're like, ha we'll put everything back to the way it was. And they're like, Oh no. <laughs> so it's a little bit comical in that way, but it's just interesting. So yeah, if husband and wife, they love each other. It's real. It's a weird, it's a strange, it's strange to find out that that happened, but yeah. So we've got that as well. So awards? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to be all English majory here. Oh about no, it. it's yeah. fine. Like I don't even know how to transition from that. So Yeah. Now it's time uh, for the awards, <laughs> which we give out to whatever, you know, season movie or whatever that we're talking about here, inspired by the awards that I give out with our co-host in common, 
Travis Alexander on the Henshin Men podcast, which you should also listen to along with this one. As I've but been saying, but we do it better here. Yeah, keep telling yourself that. <laughs> Shatter Travis's little ego. <laughs> so our first award is the Power Range of Motion. You're welcome for the best stunt or fight scene, and I'm pretty sure we have the same one, and we're going to have to park here for at least a few minutes because it's will. a big deal. <laughs> we will. We will. We will. We will. Okay, so I think you and I both have, like you're right, I think you both, you, you and I both have the same one. Tommy gets into a physical altercation with Lord Zed. Yes, and, and it's from this, Changing of the Zords Part 3, if I remember correctly, because part of what happens is. there is Kim gets kidnapped, and she's being used as a bargaining chip to make the Rangers use their new Zords to do whatever the villains tell them to do. Well, no, that's... No, the 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 no. Sorry, back up because remember, Zed and Rita locate the they locate yes. the Shogun Zords, and they find them first. And yes. Zed and Zed comes to the command center, and says, "I will release Kimberly if you agree to pilot my new Zords." Yeah, basically. So he's being used as a barking chip, but he's also draining her powers. Mm-hmm. And he shows up at the command center. Oh my gosh, Th- what a moment that was! Or he he's in the command center. Like we, I'm sure the kids watching this are like, "Oh my gosh, he's there!" So it's like, and it's, it, it, it's not even an invasion. He's not invading the command center. He basically says, "Hey, let me in. I have to talk to you." Right. So it's a different it's, kind of invasion. He forces his way in by talking his way in. It's so and nuts. it's treated as a big deal. It's treated as a big deal, and I think for the first time in God knows how many episodes, this feels like the Lord Zed from from the beginning of season two. Mm-hmm. He has one little kind of humorous outburst, but he goes right back to being season two yeah. Zed again. Yeah, 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 and lays out his ultimatum. And they, uh, it, it has a brilliant cliffhanger ending. Cause he says what it basically says, what's your answer? And then it ends. And then as soon as part three starts, they say, yes, we'll do it. But then they figure out, okay, now we're going to find out where Kim is and we're going to go save her. <laughs> and Tommy, as you, as you would expect, Tommy goes to do it. And then for, we used to have to say, this is the one time Zed actually fights the Rangers because he's an emperor. He just sits there and sends other people to do it. Although I've also heard supposedly it's because the suit really wasn't built for stage combat. <laughs> uh, no, the, the suit was, although all the, although the suit was impressive, it wasn't necessarily built for this type of like very physical activity. It was, uh, you know, the suit by this, I think they had a couple of different suits for Zed. But it's obvious by this time, at this point in Power Rangers, it's pretty obvious that the, that the suit that he's wearing is starting to slightly show its age. Yeah, basically. But despite the limitations of the suit, when we have the moment where Zed and Tommy go at it, oh my, it feels like a big deal. And even the limitations of the suit, it's just the way they play it off is that Zed is just so powerful. Mm-hmm. That he just kind of brushes things off and he taunts Tommy. He's like, oh, <laughs> come on, come on. Can't you do any better? You know, that's sort of, he's, he's messing, like he's toying with him. 
<laughs> and it's like, and my favorite part of that sequence is, ooh, I can do that too. Hoo-ha, hoo-yah, hoo-yah. Oh yeah, he mocks him. It's wonderful. Yeah. It is wonderful. <laughs> it is See, wonderful. I, uh, yeah, yeah. And the the impression that you get is that I mean, I mean, you could argue that Tommy wins, but it's more like Zed lets him win. Zed just leaves. Mm-hmm. Because Tommy manages, because he's getting the floor mopped with him, and then Tommy manages to get lucky and hits the staff with Saba and makes it turn back into a snake. Mm-hmm. And then Zed's just ticked off and he's like, ah, dang you! And then he just leaves. So mm-hmm. you get the impression that if it wasn't for that lucky shot on the staff and then Zed deciding to leave, that would have gone very differently. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it, but it is an important, it's an important scene. It's in, it's an important moment in Ranger history, which is why we had to pick that one as our yeah. power range of motion. Yeah. Because up until within the last year, we would have had to say that's the only time it ever happened, but now it's not. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Thanks. Dino Fury. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. All right. And now for the next one, the ultra SFX Zord award for the best special effect. I have to admit, I I had to think about this one a little bit because I could have gone to a couple different. I did too. A yeah. couple different ways because there's a lot of things we could have picked, but I ended up going with. I just wrote down Tatsumaki, which is you know Tatsumaki Senpukyaku. Yeah, it's a move in Street Fighter, and it's a uh, you know a tornado kick. I guess you could call it. It's because I can't remember which of the Zords is. I think it's the Ninja Zord does it in it's one the, scene. And I'm just it's like the it's the Ninja Mega Falcon Zord. That yeah, does so it. it's like there you go. That just looks cool, and it's a street. It makes me think of Street Fighter, so that one wins. I could probably should have picked something else, but I'm going with that. Yeah, I mean the the uh, the Ninja. It's really hard to pick something for this because there are some really good choices, but nothing really really just stands out as a as a moment like wow that was pretty freaking cool um so i'm gonna go with just the the shogun i'm gonna go with the shogun zord the shogun megazord but specifically the shogun mega falcon zord basically where the two arms of the shogun megazord unclip and the falcon zord slides in there to form these gatling guns and that acts as the oh my uh, gosh <laughs> the the finisher move for the shogun's for the shogun yeah, megazord when he, one when it's not just uh, right. sword swing <laughs> i mean it's it's still an impressive suit though you have to admit that it it's is. still an impressive suit it is yeah and that's a pretty good choice i would say and now for more phenomenal mad libs for the best line I have a Zed line. I I felt like there. I wrote down fewer memorable lines this season. I have to admit, but yeah. my winner is a Zed line. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, it is. Think with your brain instead of your mouth for once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mine is actually the, probably the one that you were thinking of when we were talking about how Zed was in the command center because he had that one little. That one little line that made that that took him back to uh, husband mode for just a minute, where he says, "Not a not a bad place, a little tacky." Uh, when I take over, I'll have my darling right, no. my darling wife de- redecorate. No, I like that one because that was making that was a. I felt like that was a sinister line 
within the context of that. No, it's one where someone says something to him and he gets angry and has an emotional oh, outburst. Ed, oh, Ed, Ed, yes. <laughs> when Alpha pops up and says, I'm not scared of you, Ed. <laughs> and it's I'm a- just thinking, and I'm just thinking to myself, okay, so how did Alpha know that? They call him Ed behind closed doors. Just, just wondering. Okay. Yeah, that's what I think. No, but the thing was like a little tacky. But my darling wife can re- yeah. can redecorate it. I like that one actually. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I, 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 it's always cool to have the villains insult the good guy headquarters a little bit. <laughs> mm, adding insult to injury. Yeah. Sort of, sort of line. So it, it's a fun line. That's why I picked it. Yeah. And now for, I, I, I can't believe that happened for the craziest moment. There were several I could have picked from. And I feel like I kind of strained a little bit because there wasn't quite as many that really just like jumped out at me. as like, this is nuts. I ended up going with, because the ninja powers in this are kind of ridiculous and a little ill-defined and mm-hmm. at points kind of OP, just mm-hmm. saying. And yeah. there's this one, and it only happens in one episode, as far as I know. But somehow, Aisha in ninja mode develops the ability to kind of Jedi mind trick the Tangas into doing a dance routine, and then she telepathically throws them onto the ground without touching them. And I, I Adam mean... tur- you know, shrinks two Tangas and holds them in his hand, which is just weird. Before he was just making doubles of himself, which I could go with, but now it's just like, what is? I I don't I I I don't understand. I just I, just no. I mean, <laughs> it, it it just suspension of disbelief, Nathan. Suspension of of, of disbelief. Yeah, except I mean, this is a case of this never happened before, and it never happens again. <laughs> They probably tried it once. It didn't get received well, and they never did it again. Yeah, that's the out of universe explanation for it. What's the in universe explanation? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. Maybe they just develop power. Well, they're ninjas, so maybe they just develop powers on the fly. And then never use them again? Okay. All right. So, so, so my I, I, I can't believe that happened. The war award goes to the command center blows up. Yep. <laughs> that is pretty shocking. The, the command center blows up. So uh, some backstory uh, at the end of towards at the end of this season, um, they are uh, Goldar and Rito are able to locate the ba- are able to locate the is it the sub entrance of the command yeah, center which also had some pretty insane things in it like boxes marked command center including what looks like parts of a previous alpha yeah which yeah. is just weird and then they tried to blow it up twice and apparently because they set the first bomb up on the front porch and apparently we learned alpha can sweat because he has a squeegee like you use on a car I'm like that it's makes funny. no. It's funny, but I'm like that makes no sense, and it, it never occurs to him to just I don't know cut the fuse or pull the fuse out. No, he's got to disarm the bomb. The fuse. <laughs> just get a pair of scissors and cut uh, the fuse. Yeah, you stupid, stupid robot trying to create needless suspense. <laughs> yeah. 
They should have put a timer on it. That's what they should have done. If it was a timer, this would work. No, it's a fuse. Cut the fuse, you stupid rope. Okay. So, <laughs> so they locate the basement of the command center. They plant some bombs. and Goldar and that- Rito. Goldar and Rito plant some bombs in the basement of the command center because they're they accidentally start the timer too soon. So they're like, oh no, we have to re- wait until Rita tells us that we can get the Zeo Crystal. Oh, oh no, we have thirty seconds left. Get the Zeo Crystal. Bye bye. Which is going to get retconned in the first episode of Zeo. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm moving ahead. It's fine. It's fine. So they they they're able to obtain the Zeo crystal. The command center blows up, and we have no clue if Rito and Goldar make it out alive. It turns out they do, but it plays into another storyline later on in the next yeah, season. But, so, yeah, but the fact that it ends with the command center blowing up—I mean, that had I mean, to have been really shocking. That was really shocking. Like that was really, really, really shocking for, uh, for, uh, what is it? Seven, eight year old me. Yeah. Uh, when I, when I saw that. So, so yeah, that's why, I, that's why I give, uh, com- the command center blowing to smithereens. My I, I, I can't believe yeah. that happened. Yeah. Cause oh, like Lord. I said, the mighty morphin powers kind of go out with a whimper and then we get to the actual end of mighty morphin. The command center blows up. Yeah. Everything you knew before this is gone. Yeah. Have fun, kids. <laughs> so, Nathan, what is our next segment? It's Morphin Time! Go, go, Rangers! This is the segment where we give our final thoughts in one minute or less. Are you ready for this, Michael? I'm ready. Okay. On our mark, get set, go! So... Season... <laughs> oh, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say season three is pretty messy. Uh, it's it has some it has some interesting moments. It has some pretty standout moments for the franchise. Um, it has some pretty it's some memorable villains. I would say you know Rito Rito Revolto uh, and and his relate and Master Vile and some of the monsters of the week are pretty memorable. Um, it's just I wish they were able to use a lot more of the Cocker Ranger footage because that season is that season of Sentai is just really wild. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, like you said, this season this season does go out with a whimper. Um, at well, least the, the Mighty Morphin the the, the, the the powers go out with a whimper. The the, the season goes out with a bang. <laughs> <laughs> literally, yeah, literally. literally. But yeah, it's it's messy. Like you said, consistency was an issue. So on one hand. It got better. On another hand, it didn't. So, you know, it sets a very interesting precedent going forward. Yeah. Right there. Had to squeeze it in. <laughs> there. We did well, it. <laughs> we did it. And you know what? That closes the book on <laughs> Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And so, uh, or Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, that closes the book on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers season three. And actually, it closes the book on the what we know of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers up to this point. So, Nathan, do you want to tell our listeners with attitude what they can expect for the next episode of The Power Trip? We're going to be stronger than before with Power Rangers Zeo, which is a huge turning point in the franchise. <laughs> It's a huge turning point in the franchise. In fact, I remember some of the teaser trailers 
leading up to Zio and you know they were they were pretty hyped uh, I'm not going to lie they were pretty hyped because you know Power Rangers Zio um was billed as the turning point an all new ranger team and all with all new powers all new zords all new allies all new 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 and yeah I mean so essentially just Saban ran out of uh uh Mighty Morphin and Die Ranger and Conquer Ranger footage. So here we go. We're going yeah. straight into. O- yeah. And we'll get into it. We'll get into it and explain uh, a lot of this once we get to that next episode. But yeah. I'm excited uh, for it. Yes. As am I. But until then, Michael. May your ninjors remain less ninja sore. May you never be Ranger bait. And may the power protect you. Thank you for listening to The Power Trip, a podcast produced and hosted by Michael Hamilton and Nathan Marchant. If you'd like to send us feedback, email us at powertrippod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at thepowertrippod, and join our official Facebook group, Power Rangers Legacy. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other great podcasters. The podcast logo was designed by Rebecca Hudgens. Follow her on Instagram at super underscore R underscore illustrations. Our theme songs are from the album Power of the Grid by Neil Stenson. We also use Galaxy Quest Instrumental by Heaven Wraith from the OC Remix album Jet Force Gemini Mizar Attacks. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended or implied. The Power Trip has no association with Saban Entertainment or Hasbro. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. And until next time, see ya!